Amen. You can be seated. So glad you could be with us this morning and, and, uh, and worshiping with us. I'm going to jump right in. In uh, the book of Colossians, uh, we're wrapping up our series today on, uh, on the book of Colossians. And we've entitled this series, Jesus Saves, because inside of the book of Colossians, we've been following this theme of how Jesus saves us, how he actually saves us from the various things in our lives and the things that we're going through, uh, the things that we face, the things we get ourselves into. And if, one, if you don't understand how Jesus saves you, if the only thing that you can say is that, well, I guess I'm not going to hell, then really all that you have is essentially something like fire insurance, and you don't really understand what it means to know Jesus. And so to, under, to really truly understand who Jesus is in your life, you've got to understand how he saves you. And so today I really uh, I want to wrap up our series here in uh, chapter 4. We're not actually going to uh, finish the rest. It's just a final greeting, um, which is equally important. It is scripture, uh, but we're going to stop at verse uh, 6 today. Um, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now we're beginning uh, a new year here. We're just, just in the uh, first initial days here of uh, the new year, 2015, and I would say that uh, when, whenever it comes to giving a sermon at a, a momentous time during the year, there's always an expectation. And so my feeling as a preacher is that my, the expectation should be, here we are, it's 2015, let's kick off this year in style and let's make it happen, you know? And so as I was preparing for this uh, message, one of the things that I was uh, running into is that, to be honest with you, uh, I've had a difficult year, and it hasn't been all difficult, but there have been some acts, aspects of it that have been difficult, and that also affects my outlook, and so there's a part of me that feels like, you know, I, am I really looking forward to this year? Is that, is that what's, uh, what's happening? I've never been a huge fan of resolutions. I think it's somewhere around, it's a very small percentage of people who actually ever fulfill those, so if you've made some, there's no hope, all right? Just... Uh, just to, just to be hopeful for you, uh, um, but uh, we'll get to where the hope actually is. But uh, I've never been a huge fan of, of resolutions, but this year in particular, is, it's just, it's been hard. It's, it's, been, um, it's been a little bit difficult. Yeah, a new year should feel like a new slate, but for me and maybe for you, it can feel sometimes like uh, a desolate landscape. It can feel like you know, I mean, what's, what's going to happen next? Um, for me, uh, I, I would say that um, if I can talk personally, I never am, am quite sure whether this is the smartest thing to do from the pulpit, so, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, um, and that is, it, I, I think part of, part of my year has been filled with some betrayal. Um, I, I invited someone who had uh, come to the church uh, into my home made a, you know, made a place that was hospitable towards them. They left and criticized me all over Facebook. Uh, I uh, had friendships that, that ended and ended in, in turmoil um, at different times. Um, and uh, to the best of my ability, I've uh, tried to make amends in those friendships and apologize where necessary, but it was, it was, it was still rough. It was a rough year for me. It was a rough year in, in that sense. It was a rough year for marriages. It was a rough year for uh, good, close, personal friends of mine, more than one, whose marriages are, are uh, coming close to ending or ending or did end. 
uh, when, I, when I think about the kids involved in those, just it breaks my heart uh, to think about uh, the, the kids that go through that. Um, I, uh, just all difficulty in a number of ways. At the same time, let me just say this as well. God's been so gracious to me and to my family. Um, we were able to, our, our home was, you know, 1,400 square feet with four children. And um, that was, uh, it was like sitting in a Cracker Jack box with a rabid raccoon. I mean, it, it's, that's how it feels sometimes. You just feel like, I just, you know, I love this, these animals, but I, you know, I, they, they, need a, they need some shots or something. I don't know. But... Um, God, God has been gracious, and so we were able to move out of that home and, and move into a, a larger home, and, and it was an incredible blessing. I watched a, another church, uh, a sister church that used to be in our network, that um, God saw fit to end their time as a church. And through it, he's being glorified through a number of other ways, but I've seen uh, the disarray of a church of thousands of people that's been scattered into... Um, uh, by God's grace into a number of other churches um, that have been started out of that, which has just been an absolute grace. But still at the same time, there still is this, this pain and this suffering that comes along with that for the people that were on the edge. And the person who's sitting here, you know, saying, you know, I mean, everyone just fights in the church anyway, and so why would I go there? They argue about the color of the carpet, or they, they um, you know, they're just about money, or it's just hypocrisy or whatever. And and all of those things were essentially, you know, in, in some way, that, you know, their fears were probably affirmed, and maybe they left the church. And so I, I hurt for them, and I hurt for uh, the people who were hurt in the midst of that. I mean, it's, it's been a tough year. I don't, I don't know what it's been like for you, for your, uh, for your marriage, for your friendships, for the things that you've gone through, for your resolutions, the things that you said, I'll never do again, or I want to start doing you know, was that ascertained or was it, or was it, did it fall by the wayside like many of our resolutions do? Uh, in the world, we've seen um, terrorism on a level that, we've, that we have uh, probably not imagined would happen. Uh, gruesome acts being displayed on video, Christians being killed. Um, we have seen uh, racial tension in our country rise to a level that uh, most of us in this room right now probably have never seen in our lifetime. Uh, without politicizing any, any piece of that, um, the lives lost between uh, Eric Garner in, in New York City as a father and uh, his his wife and kids that got to watch their dad die on, on TV. I've been crying a lot lately. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, I had an elder meeting the other day, and I was thanking some elders for what they were doing. I could not hold myself together. I'm like, I, am I going through a menopause right now or something, and I'm like, what? <laughs> About to start having hot flashes. And, um, you know, when, when I, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's just kids. When kids are involved, it's no less important because a, you know, a father died. Michael Brown, a son died. Um, uh, the two officers that were gunned down in New York um, uh, a husband of two months has a brand new wife that's gunned down in cold blood. A father who has two sons and a wife is gunned down. I mean, the, I, I, I don't know that our, our world could be a lot darker right now. Um, I'm confronted every day with all of these situations and how to, how to address them. What, do we address them publicly as, 
uh, a church, you know, in the middle of a very white area of, you know, the country. And, the, you know, do we have racial tension here? And, and what does it look like? And, but I'm confronted every day with, with the, the issues that are going on in our own church, the criticism of me and things of that nature. How do we deal with that? And what's that look like um, in our lives? This passage, I think without that backdrop, I think this passage, excuse me, this passage helps us understand and helps put it in context and helps us to see how do we deal with life and how, how do we look at this next year? How do we look at what's, what's happening and, and what should our response be to that? Look at what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, I, I don't know that it could be much more plain than what Paul has just said there. It would be hard to miss the meaning. But let's just, let's just walk through it here briefly. Steadfastly means to continue unmoved. To be committed to prayer steadfastly, constantly. You're, you're constantly doing that. You're constantly praying. It is a continual exercise of faith. Prayer is the exercise of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, as it says in Romans 10, 17. But the exercise of faith that you get from the scriptures, you read the scriptures, the scriptures show you a God who's all-powerful, sovereign, is in control of all things. And so what do you do with that? Okay, great, I just read this. What do you do? You express a trust in him. And you do that steadfastly. And what does that mean? That means that come hell or high water, Police are dying, Christians are dying, marriages are falling apart, churches are falling apart. What continue steadfastly, steadfastly saying, I'm, I'm like, I'm driving a stake in the ground. And like, there's a hurricane that's coming and I'm anchoring myself to this and I'm saying, I am going to continue in this. And it doesn't matter that somehow this church is, is on the rocks or that church is on the rocks or whatever. And by the way, I, I believe our church is very strong. But it doesn't matter that this other church is on the rocks. It doesn't matter that this marriage is on the rocks of falling apart. It doesn't matter all of these other things. My job in the midst of all of this is to say, I see the God of the Bible, and, and especially men here, women as well, but men here need to read the Word of God. We need to be reading the Word of God on a regular basis. We need to be constantly having an intake of the Word of God. That may mean turning off the music at work and turning on a sermon. It may mean putting sermons on your phone, and this is, this is how I do it when I'm working or what have you. I'm trying to listen to sermons. I put my phone in my back pocket, have uh, headphones that come up. I put it underneath my shirt so it doesn't get caught or anything. Put headphones in, and I listen to the Word of God being preached over me. Because I need the word of God being preached over me. And if you think that somehow throughout your life, if you have no intake of the scripture and then say, you know, my prayer life really sucks, then what you need to understand is this, is that there was nothing that came before that, which was the impetus to drive your prayer life, which is I'm hearing about this God who is sovereign and powerful and mighty, and yet, and, and so then it leads me to say I want to continually express trust in him and the way that I trust him is telling him about the issues and the problems and the things uh, that are going on in my life what my hurts are and saying God I trust you that you're sovereign and that you know what's going on and that you know what's best in these circumstances this is what it means to continue steadfastly there's a precursor to that which is it's it's there's an assumption which is I know this God of the Bible but then he says being watchful, which is to be alert, to be awake. Be alert, be awake. To take an inventory of what's going on around you 
in the world and to pray fervently for it. <coughs> to pray fervently for the things that are going on in your life. When issues come at you, whether it's through the news or through your spouse or through your friendships, through your job or your school, when issues come at you but you never express faith, what, what happens is, is this, is that there's a continual kind of internalizing. I believe that's part of what I've been doing this year. It's been an internalizing rather than taking it to Jesus. It's been an internalizing of whether it's criticism or difficulty or things that don't work right. And instead of being watchful and being alert and just saying, hey, wait a minute. That issue right there is part of a fallen world. And I've never been guaranteed at all that all things would be made, made right. In fact, I, I'm guaranteed that they are not going to be made right in this lifetime. But then I'm waiting for a better day when Jesus returns and he will make all things right. So my hope isn't in today. My hope is in eternity. And so I'm being watchful and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm alert at those things. And I'm saying, hey, wait a minute. That's something that I'm, I'm trying to internalize. But that really is something of God. That's his business. That's his thing to take on. It's called being watchful. It's making sure that you are being careful to look at every detail of life, whether it's difficulty, circumstances, or what have you. But more than that, it's, it's instead of this deadpan prayer that you always say, it's a prayer of alertness and attentiveness to God. And you're, you're talking to him as though he's alive. And you're pleading with him as though he listens. And you're communicating with him as though he's a father who cares. Because he is a father who cares. And he is alive. And he is involved in the circumstances of our life. And so we're talking to him. And so we're alert and we're attentive and we're speaking to him. Let me just tell you, for me to get up in the morning and try to have a long prayer time with God doesn't typically work for me because I will be having a uh, more meditative type uh, prayer time with God very shortly. Very, very meditative. In fact, almost sleepy uh, time of prayer. And so I have to, I have to constantly be alert and, and be thinking, okay, how can I be praying? Where can prayer be inserted in my life and so, so that I'm not falling asleep? Sometimes it's praying with my eyes open. Sometimes it's, it's praying when I'm standing and it's praying without ceasing, no doubt, as Paul says. But it's being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so it's not just that I am praying to him, but I'm also looking for how are all the ways, that, what are all the ways that he has blessed me? Let's take a moment and just think about what Paul's going through. Paul says, I'm in prison. I'm in the big house. I'm in the midst of prison. And, and Paul is saying, Essentially, if I can tell you to be steadfast, to be watchful, and also be doing this in thanksgiving, then I would certainly think that that's what we should be doing. Because it's got to be more than just bringing to him, hey, here's another request, and here's another request. Now, he wants us to bring us, uh, for us to bring him our request, but he wants us to be thankful. And how, why are we thankful with God? It's because of this. It's, be, it's, it's acknowledging the fact that the air that I breathe and the food that I'm eating and the, the relationships that I have or the, the comforts of my life or even the discomfort, discomforts of my life are brought about for my good, for my growth. Even my suffering is brought about for my good, ultimately God's glory. So we're to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He says, at the same time, verse 3, pray also for us. And he, he's going to ask for two things here. He says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. 
And then the second thing he's going to ask for in verse 4 is that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So first thing, he's saying, uh, pray for us that there's going to be a door that opens up to declare the mystery of Christ. Now the mystery of Christ, if you remember, back in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, says this, to them, that's to everyone other than the Jews and the Jews as well, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now what that just said is this, is that Paul has a responsibility, and his responsibility is to communicate that Jesus is the hope of the world. It's Christ in you, and he's the hope of glory. He's the hope of anything good that will ever happen. It will all be for God's glory. It's, it's the hope of everything that we have going on in life. In, and that hope is found when Christ is in us. And so what, what does this mean in this situation? Paul's saying, I want you to pray for your life, for your personal circumstances, for the things going on around you. But then there's another thing that I want you to pray for, and that is this that there's going to be doors that open up so that we're going to be able to communicate the word of God and that we're going to be able to communicate the hope of the nations, which is Jesus Christ. Now, why does this mean anything? You can look at the circumstances of your life and the things that are falling apart, whether it's your marriage, your relationships, your whatever. You can look at the world, the, the nation, the racial tension. You can look at all of those things. You can look at terrorism. You can look at everything that's falling apart. But ultimately, what has to be asserted there is not, God, where are you and how come you're not doing anything? Because his answer is this, I have, I am, and I will. And it is through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. How, do, how does our world change? How does our world change? It changes through people knowing Jesus. It changes through people knowing Jesus. It's, it's not, education is a good thing. We want to get behind education. Racial reconciliation is a good thing. We want to get behind that. Law enforcement is a good thing. We want to get behind that. We, we want to get behind good things, but the hope of the nations is not education. And it's not just racial reconciliation, and it's not just law enforcement, and it's not just marriages that have been reconciled. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, because of this. When Christ comes in you, and he is your only source, when he is the thing that you look to, when he is the only one that you say, He's, he's my greatest hope. He's my greatest desire. He's the only thing that I want. He is the thing. Life changes for you. Why? The young man who grows up, who's involved in pornography, grows in his porn addiction, ends up in situations where he becomes aggressive with women, turns into a rapist and then a serial killer. Now that is a, you know, huge step there that's that's that is a, an exaggerated problem here but it's an issue they, they don't even necessarily have to become a serial killer let's just say they're raping other women i mean that's been that's been a problem in our world it's been all over the news young men who think they have this right well why did that happen well people would say it's education for the young man to say no means no you just tell them no means no, and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, seriously? It's, it's not education. Because it didn't start with this guy being an idiot and not understanding the word no. It started with a guy who said, no, my life, my world, everything, my desires, my happiness, everything in my life is centered around and in and a part of 
Everything in my life is centered in the midst of being gratified sexually at the cost to anyone else. And so his savior is self-gratification. His savior is self-gratification. And because that is the God that he worships, what then happens is this, is that he continues to worship that God and he continues to worship that God and it leads him into these horrific situations where he takes advantage of women. Now, you could look at them and you could say, you know what, I mean, that's a really horrific situation, Matt, and, and my life really isn't that bad, but I just want to tell you that on a grand scale, that's exaggerated, but we, every single one of us does that maybe on a smaller scale. But you do it with, with your relationships. And you make that relationship your God. And you will find the end result of that. If you put your happiness on that throne and you say, I will worship that, and I, I will worship happiness, it doesn't matter whether it's a job, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's your, your wife of many years with kids. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if it's your character, your honesty in the midst of a business situation. If your happiness is on the, the center throne of your life, ultimately what happens is this. That is the God that you worship. Think about all of the gods that are being worshipped within the context of everything that's going on in our world. Whatever it is for the, you know, ISIS, whatever their god is, world domination through the caliphate, I believe, creating this, this state with Sharia law and all of these other things. I, I, I mean, I think I'm right on most of that, but. I mean, what, what, is, what is their god? And then what is the god of uh, all of these other situations, whether it's in the midst of Ferguson, Missouri, or New York City. Who, who, what's the God that's being served there? It's a God. And it's something other than the true and the living God. And so what happens is this, is that life is falling apart and it's degenerating and it's degenerating. Why is that? Because of this. Their hope is in a horrible taskmaster of a God themselves, ourselves. This is why Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of the nations, the hope of all things coming together is Christ in these people saying, I'm no longer going to serve the God of sex and self-gratification and happiness and money and world domination or anything like that, but I'm serving the true and the living God who will not destroy me or the people around me. Paul is saying, pray that I have an opportunity to share with these people the hope of the world. Now, as a Christian, if the only thing that you do is church attendance, as a Christian, if the only thing that you do is that you are a bench warmer, and it's, it, you've come and, and you've come to see, I'm not criticizing you here, if you've come to see the show that is the church, that's fantastic. I'm glad that you're here. That's the first step. The next step is this. I'm going to go from casual observer to invested member. I'm going to go from somebody who's just kind of witnessing the things of God to being actively engaged in the plan of God. And what that means is this, is that I'm not just going to be concerned about my personal struggles and the issues that are going on around me. Paul says, yes, pray for that. Pray with thanksgiving, do it steadfastly, be watchful in it. But the next thing that I want you to do is that I want you to pray that our world is made right through Jesus Christ. 
Our world is going to be made right when people see that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's when somebody says, I'm not just a casual attender, but I'm somebody who's deeply invested in the things of God. <coughs> I'm deeply invested in the things of God, so much so that I care about whether my world comes to know Jesus. We can sit and cry for the kids. We can mourn over the lost marriages and the people that have been abused and hurt. But the next step is to pray that there's an, an open door that can come, that Christ can come and be seen as the true hope of glory. And he says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. What a humble sentence. Oh, I, 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 want, I want you to pray that there's an open door, but then when I have the open door, would you pray that I say it right? I mean, how many of us, you know, if we're going to share Christ with our world, with a friend or somebody at work or whatever, feel like, uh, what's number one? Uh, what's the Roman's road? What's the, I mean, I mean how many different uh, tactics have people used to try to share Christ? All of them well-intentioned. But the, the problem is, is that we get to this point where we just get so afraid. And Paul is saying, I think there's a fear in him too that says, I just want to say it right. That, that kind of prayer needs to be asserted here. Let me say this. Would you pray for me that I say it right? Would you, would you move from, whether you end up at this church or some other church, no matter where you end up, would you pray for your pastor? Would you pray that God brings an open door I want to pray for open doors for you, and, and, that's, and that's coming up here in just a second. But I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for your pastor, for the pastors, the elders of this church, and to say, I want God to give them a particular open door to be able to preach the gospel in a way that shines the hope, the mystery of Christ that shows who he is, that displays this God to the world through this imperfect thing called the church, I'm going to pray for my pastor. Now, what, what's the difference between that and being a casual attender? Casual attenders come and they stay as long as there's good sermons. People who are actively invested in the things of God are people who say, you know what I'm here for? I'm here for the hope of glory to be displayed to the nations, and I'm going to be a part of that. If you make any kind of a resolution, make it in this way. I'm going I'm to move from casual attender. I'm going to move to somebody who's actively invested. I'm going to pray over the pastors in this church, and I'm going to pray not only that they have an open door, but that they say it right. Or at least that the Spirit of God works and erases their, their wrong words. That's what I hope for. <clears throat> Paul says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What's this look like for us? We're talking about a world that's pretty jacked up. How do we look at that? Well, we pray. We assert faith that we get from understanding the scriptures. We pray and we ask God that he'd move here. The second thing is that we look at our world and we say we want to see open doors so that the word of God can be communicated so that young men will not look at women as objects and instead look at Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and no longer at self-gratification. And we pray that they say it right. The third thing is this, how does it apply to us? Now, a casual attender is somebody who says, this is my church life, and then I go into my world and I live in whatever way that I see fit. And I, live, and I live how I want. And you might say, you know, I'm a Christian and so I, you know, I, I try to do nice things. But here's, Paul says this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I have seen on more than one occasion Christians who have uh, walked in 
not wisdom. We'll just say it like that. Walked in a way that was absolutely horrific towards outsiders. My wife told me about a conversation that she had with someone outside the church not too long ago, and she said, uh, that person essentially said, I knew people in the church, and what was going on there is that they, these people were horrible. I worked with them, and they just treated people any way that they wanted. They'd, they'd have all of this God talk, talking about God this and God that, but then they'd go and they'd treat somebody in a way that was just, it was blatantly obvious. And like, are, are you serious right now? Now, you could use that uh, irritating phrase, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And say, well, I'm not perfect. But here's the thing. Paul's saying, use your head. Use your head. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom. Use your head and say, what are the words that I'm saying glorifying to God? Are the things that I'm communicating about my wife about my husband, are they glorifying to God and honoring towards my wife or husband or my parents? Is the way that I'm talking about my boss to a coworker, is it honoring to my boss? Is the way that I treat my employees honoring to my employees and therefore to God? Am I paying them well? Am I, am I honoring their family situations or am I just concerned about making money? Uh, walk in wisdom towards outsiders means this, that when there's a problem within the context of the church, and I guarantee you any great church has great problems in it, the absence of, uh, of conflict does not mean uh, that there is a surplus of love. The absence of conflict means people aren't really connecting. Conflict comes when people come together and, and there is a sharpening happening. And it hurts sometimes as, as you come to me and you say, Matt, you hurt me when you said this. There, there's, some, there's conflict between us. There's, there's, there's issues between us. But when you take those problems and you go to somebody outside the church and you say, you know what, I hate my church because they do this and they do that. And I really don't like that pastor because of the things that he does. And, you know, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm just going to rant on Facebook about this. And, I, and I'm going to criticize those things. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. There's no doubt that, there, that you're going to have a struggle in the context of the church. I guarantee you will. If you're going from casual attender to somebody who is deeply invested in the things of God, you're going to be somebody who's going to need to use wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, you could make your life all about a culture war. You, you, you could borrow phrases from various conservative radio talk shows and things like that and talk about a, a culture war and, and you could arm up and you could uh, do all of these things that are, are so common. Talk about how much we're persecuted and things like that. But I think that there's a large disparity between how we're treated and now the people who are running into ISIS are treated. They're losing their heads. But sometimes we're losing our heads when we get into arguments. We're not making the best use of the time. Do you, is it really important for us to argue about cultural issues with each other? Should you really be talking to someone about how much you disagree with this lifestyle or with that or with the other thing? That's not helpful. People, people in our world who don't know Jesus, the first thing that they need to come to know is not about your culture war or your political preference or how much you're disgusted by the other side, whether you're conservative or liberal. People don't need to hear that. They need to understand who you are in the context of Jesus, how Jesus is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Make the best use of the time. Make the best use of your time by saying, all right, how can I strategize in my life in how to best reach the surrounding community? 
Paul isn't so much telling them about, hey, watch out for persecution, endure the persecution. He's saying, I mean, it seems like this church in Colossae has great freedom. They're, they're, they're kind of like us a little bit. And so he's saying, make the best use of the time. You have the freedom to do so. Capitalize on that. You know how my wife and I do this? We say, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the nations. That he's the hope of, of our friends' marriages. That he's the hope in the elementary school that our kids go to. That he's the hope in the midst of our neighborhood. And so my wife and I, we strategize and say, how do we keep friendships in the context of the church, but make sure that we are spending time with non-believers for this purpose? We want to make the best use of the time. We want to make the best use of the time. And we want to say, how can we uh, strategize to, to be able to make a friendship with these people? To show them how this God in their life is leading them to pain. It's leading them further and further down a road of discord in their life and in our community. And to bring them to the hope of Jesus Christ. And to say, you don't have to follow after these fake gods. You can follow the true and the living God. Make the best use of the time. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech. Whether you're at a restaurant, or as I've said before, the dry cleaners, or whether you're in any type of circumstance, is your speech gracious towards people? Are you criticizing other people? Do you tear other people down? What do you say on Facebook? When you go to a store that ticks you off, do you go online and begin to tear them down? I'll never use them again. In fact, I'm going to go on Yelp and write a review. Coincidentally, somebody totally hosed the church at one point, and I really wanted to go on Yelp and write a review, but uh, that's not gracious. That's not gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. Are you a gracious person? I want you to know that I struggle with this so badly. My first instinct is to, is to say, uh, you're not providing me the service that I should have. And so I'm going to go do X. I mean, over and over again. Had a circumstance like this happen to me not that long ago. And it was like repeated failure, repeated failure, repeated failure by someone who had done some work for me. Not a part of this church or anything. And I, and I, and I had to say this. I care infinitely less about that work getting done than I care about the salvation of this person. And you know what I got to be a display of? And I don't think I was a perfect display of it, but I got to be a display of, yes, I understand. It didn't hurt me to do it. I just, I just, I had to put up with some stuff and I just had to say, it's okay. No problem. No problem. When, when's the next time that this would work out? I got to be grace. I got to, I got to act graciously and repeatedly act graciously and repeatedly. You know why? Because Jesus does this for me all the time. The life of a Christian isn't just repenting once and then going on with life and being really good from that point. No, the life of a Christian is somebody who knows I have been jacked up, I am jacked up, and I will be jacked up. There, on numerous levels, I am somebody who constantly has problems with being somebody who's perfect. In fact, I can't be perfect, and the only person that was perfect was Jesus, but Jesus is the one who went to the cross for me, and he wants me to come, kneel before him every day, and say, Jesus, you 
are so incredible, and I can't believe that you continually pour out your grace and love for me, and I'm, I confess my sins to you, and I repent of them. I'm turning from them, but please forgive me, and I move on. Jesus forgives me over and over again. You know when we become ungracious? It's when we say, I've forgiven you one too many times, sucker. That, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do it once, I'll do it twice, you know, third time, you're done. Or I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll even go beyond the third time. We'll go four times. We'll go five times. Let your speech always be gracious. We've got to be gracious people. Seasoned with salt. Being seasoned with salt is more about interesting flavor. It's being somebody who knows more about other things in life. When you're in the context of other people, it can't be all about you and your life. You know what people are interested in? Themselves. And do you know what I love to do when I walk into a situation? Hey, tell me about this. And tell me about that. And tell me about this. How'd you get into that? Where'd you grow up? How'd you like that? What's it? What happened here? What happened there? What happened there? You know what I do? I exhaust them with questions about themselves. I don't ask them for their social security number. I don't, you know, uh, ask them about their sexual history, at least not the first time we talk. But I mean, we, you know, we don't get into awkward things like that. But I mean, I try to ask as many questions as possible because of this. My conversation is going to be seasoned with salt. And I'm, and I'm showing interest because I am genuinely interested in them. And we keep going and we keep going and we keep going and we keep going until it's finally like I'm so out of questions that it's just like, all right, well, I've done everything that I can do. And you know what happens then? Things get awkward for a minute. And then they go, why don't you tell me about you? And I said, I would love to tell you about, you know, uh, you know I, I do this, I do that, I do the other thing. This happened to me a while ago where, I mean, it just went on for, you know, several times. So, you know, just hanging out with uh, some people and then finally they turned and asked me questions. And they asked the question, so what do you do? And I'm like, it's funny that you should ask. I'm actually a pastor. Seriously? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a pastor. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, <laughs> can't really see that in you. Or, wow, I'm so impressed. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what it was. I, I took it was, I'm so impressed, so... Seasoned assault means this, that there's an interesting conversation that's happening. That I'm making the best use of my time towards outsiders through gracious speech. And I'm also, it's seasoned with salt because we have other conversations. It's not just about God. It's not just about the Bible. It's not just about the things that I want to talk about, but it's, it's about life. And you know what happens there? Is that if Jesus is my true Lord and Savior, if He's the one that I look to, and I'm not looking to uh, personal satisfaction or anything like that, or money, or relationships as my God, they begin to see that because of our conversations. <coughs> so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Do you know how to answer people? Some of us think that we've got to have some kind of dialed in little evangelism program that begins something awkward like this. Do you know where you'd go if you die today? And it's like, I don't know. Am I, am I about to die? So that you may know how you ought to answer these people. That's how we're to live our lives. Our world is a broken place. And it doesn't feel like a fresh start. It feels like a barren landscape sometimes. And I don't know if it feels like that for you, but Paul says pray. Pray fervently. But he says do more than just pray, but pray that there's opportunities to see people come to know Jesus so that they can turn their lives over to him. And even more than that, make sure that your life reflects that lifestyle. That says, I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to be seasoned with salt, so that I can have great conversations with people that need to know about Jesus. 
not so we can thrust Christianity onto the world stage because guess what? We already are. Not so we can build up our, our, our church so that it's, it's bigger and better, better or get more money or, or something like that, but because God already owns everything. We don't need those things. And what we get to bring to our world is we get to bring the hope of glory, Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ the one who saves you today? Or are you looking to another Savior? That's what this series has been about. And if you can look at your life and you can see discord, pain, addiction, things that are falling apart, there's a corresponding disbelief in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You may have never put your faith in Him, or you may think that you have put your faith in Him, but today's the day to see that turn around. I want to pray for you right now, but I also want to say this. If today you're thinking, I need to make some changes, I'm going to ask uh, our, our elders and, and um, you know, some gals to come up here. And if you just need prayer after the service, we just want to invite you to that. I'd love to talk to you, connect you with the right person. So let's pray. We're going to go to communion here in just a moment and just celebrate Jesus on the cross, saving us from all of our sins through the broken bread and the wine that represents his broken body and his shed blood for us. So let's, let's, let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you've saved us. Thank you so much that you've saved us and that we have the hope of the nations in you and you are in us. And we get the privilege of suffering alongside of you. We get the privilege of extending your grace that you've given us to the world around us. Lord, may we be gracious. May we be kind. May we be looking for opportunities. May those who are marginal attenders turn into active, involved, invested individuals who are committed to being a part of the church, who are committed to more than just attending. And Lord, I pray that they would invest their lives in you and in the people around them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.